Welcome to the Rockin' Life podcast, Rockin' Life After Divorce. And today we have James Hill here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. This is so awesome. I interview people that's gone through a divorce and uh, been able to navigate that in a good way and bring hope to people that have or are in the process of navigating divorce. I usually call it navigating because it is a navigational journey to go through divorce and it can be very difficult. And I interview people to be able to bring hope to people and get them moving along this journey. And we're going to talk about that today. And James, you're a single father of five beautiful little girls and a realtor in Chester, Pennsylvania, right? Chester County, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And you're also an author of an upcoming novel. I would love to read that one when it's coming out. And it's called When the Dandelions Sing. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the podcast. And you're also working on the second one. So cool. I want to write the book too. My vision for the podcast is uh, that it's going to be both a podcast, but the community to be the catalyst for people to get out of this funk, this downward spiral that a lot of people in divorce end up in and uh, to turn that into a striving life. And I believe that can be the case. I believe that divorce can be the catalyst that people can get out and make their life into a beautiful uh, life, the rest of the life. And to do this climb together and uh, to create that life that people inspire and want. And I want to share inspiring stories on this podcast. And if you listen and you feel that this is an awesome podcast, please share it with people. Share it with people that might be going through divorce. But I think anybody can learn from hearing other people's life stories and how you do this climb through the, this difficult path in life. I call it the Rocking Life podcast because of rock climbing. My kids and I started rock climbing a year ago. And uh, life is a lot like rock climbing. You have easy paths that can be very easily navigated. You don't need friends and family and stuff that kind of like to bring you through. But when you go through the difficult parts, you need to have people around you that can help you, support you. And divorce, you really have to have people around you, have a counselor, have awesome close friends that you trust, having a, a coach or a, a mentor that can speak into your life. Because navigating divorce by yourself, it, it is, I think, impossible. I think it's truly very difficult. You're going to share a little story. So what was that story about? Yeah, so I, I had a pretty difficult divorce. You know, there were a lot of moving parts involved in that, and it, it took a lot out of me. So in the beginning of my separation, you know, I was trying to get my foothold on things and I was losing a lot. I, I didn't quite understand what was going on at first. And there was a lot being thrown my way that I was trying to navigate. And so it, it took a toll on my mental health and my physical health. You know, I was wearing myself down. I wasn't eating food. I wasn't drinking water. So when I was married, I was 186 pounds. And in two months, I went down to 143 pounds. Wow. So yeah, as I lost 43 pounds very quickly, I was taken to the emergency room. They thought I had a stroke. I, I just wasn't able to do anything. I wasn't able to eat or drink, sleep. I mean, I didn't sleep for probably seven, eight, nine straight days. It, it just wasn't happening. So it was, you know, beating me up. And so I, I yeah, I had to navigate that. And, and I started to get IVs and I started to eat a little bit. And I started to try to regain some senses. And I tried to do just a little bit of sleeping, just baby steps. And um, I got to a point in November where I was done. I just, I didn't want to do it anymore. I'd been doing it for about seven, eight months and I couldn't do it anymore. And so I was just going to give up. I was ready to die. I just didn't care. And uh, I was ready. I had a plan. I, I just came home one night. I drank a nice bottle of wine. I fell asleep. I woke up. I was going to do videos and notes and do whatever. And I woke up in the morning and it felt like something punched me right in my chest. And I, I got up and it was almost like an immediate light switch turned on and said, not today. So I went from being ready to, wow, I, I can't do this. You know, somebody's telling me I can. And you know, to me, you know, I had found my faith during this. And, you know, so I, I truly believe it was God for me and, and telling me, okay, I know there's no lower to go. I know you can't go any lower. And I know you're not, you're trying and you're struggling and you can't do this alone. And so I, I'm going to pick you up and, it wasn't immediate. I mean, that, that feeling was abrupt so that I knew it wasn't going to go anywhere, but it took time. But I started to feel a little bit. I started to feel a little bit of light and a little bit of strength 
And that was it. That's the day in November that I felt like it's time to heal and the process. Yeah, I, I know how difficult it can be. I had to deal with a lot of loneliness. I've shared that many times on the podcast, loneliness and depression, how dark it can be and how difficult it is when you're in it. It can feel like a very lonely place and become a downward spiral. That's what I want this podcast to be an encouragement for people because it's very difficult to see the light in the end of the tunnel when you're in it. What happened when your wife first said that she wanted to leave you? Yeah, I, I mean, there was no, I want to leave you. There was, there was arguments that were coming out of nowhere, seemingly nowhere. And then I was removed from my house and I, I didn't understand why. I, originally, I, had, I decided to stay at a hotel for a little bit because it seemed like she just needed some time to figure herself out. And I quickly realized there was more going on. And so when I realized that, I knew that I had to figure out what I was doing. So I came back home. And when I came back home, I was removed. I had police officers here and, and, and they removed me from the house. And so it was all confusing. I, I didn't know what was going on. You know, I'm very cautious not to um, put too much on what happened with my ex only because what happened happened. And, and you know, I, I try to be fair. And uh, but yeah, so there was a lot of things were going on and happened. And so I was removed from my house and for 74 days, I stayed in a basement at my mom's house. And that was my new life until I came home and when I came home to an empty house. So I went very quickly to... Yeah, we had just gotten back from Mexico. We had a great vacation to fighting and not wanting to be together, to being in you know a new place and, and not being able to come home to my house and see my kids for 74 days. And it was a little short of 74 because I got them eventually, but to coming home to a totally empty house. I mean, everything was gone. My, my house was empty. My pets yeah. were gone. Everything I had worked for my entire life was missing. And I walked into an empty house and, and it was a process to continuously have to deal with large hurdles. And it, I had to figure out how to do that. Uh, I had to figure out, you know, basically I had to tell myself it's time to get through each of these steps. And it wasn't easy. I didn't say, okay, be positive. You're going to get through this. I screamed, I hollered, I made phone calls. I, I probably threatened people. I, I did everything I wasn't supposed to do, but everything yeah. that we do. Yeah. And yeah. And I realized, okay, I, I, at some point I start to realize that you have to change tactics. It's Einstein's definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I wasn't getting any results I wanted. So it was time to do things different. And I did. I started to do things different. And as, as soon as I did that, I started to see a change in how things were going. Yeah, it's very wise. I reacted in fear. I think it's just like a response. My ex-wife filed for the divorce, joint custody. because I, But I, wasn't, I didn't have a green card here in the US. We just moved here. So my response was to file for full custody because that's what my lawyer told me. And I think lawyers can really mess things up in a divorce because they, they only look for each party's best interest. They don't look for the family, the unit, or the future of the children's uh, best interest, I think. And my response in fear was to, to file for full custody. And that, of course, brings a lot of fear into my ex-wife and that turned into a vicious spiral that still has effects from it one of my biggest mistakes in my whole life and i had to, to kind of come to grips and it was actually a, a friend of mine that called me up and said you know what are you doing and it's like yeah because sometimes when you're in it it's so difficult to see you see your perspective of it but when you have somebody else that cares for you you can see a different perspective you kind of like yeah, speak into your life that's why it's so important to have other people that cares for, for you to, to go through and walk through in this process. Yeah, and, I, think hit, I think you hit on a pretty important point there. The lawyers and even the courts, they're, they're not there to be fair. They say they are, they're not. And, and it's nothing against lawyers. I've met some great lawyers. Actually, the final lawyer that I used in this whole transaction of you know going through my divorce was phenomenal. She was great. She understood where I was coming from and, and she guided me in the right direction. The first lawyer I had was, it was all about the money. You know, I, I learned a lot of tricks on this. I learned that you want to hire a court that is a lawyer that is respected by the court. Yeah. It's not about the most expensive, best lawyer. These judges read these lawyers and if they know these lawyers and they like these lawyers, they're going to give them more leeway. The first lawyer I had was not a bad lawyer. He, he legally knew what he was doing. He just couldn't get anything done. And I just don't think he was respected as well by the court. So yeah, I was given bad advice. You know, I was told we're going to fight for everything that was taken from your house. And that cost me probably more than the stuff I owned because it was about six months of fighting and I got nothing out of that. Exactly. 
you know, yeah, I, I, I got stuff later out of it, you know, when I finally finished up my divorce, but it's a brutal process. If people going through a divorce don't understand, you, you definitely need a lawyer to navigate. If you have a rough divorce, there's no doubt you're going to need somebody that knows the law because the courts do not like when you're defending yourself, they do not like that. And I've learned that, at least where I'm at. When I went in and I knew what I was fighting for, they treated me like I was different because I didn't have an attorney. They wanted me to have an attorney. So you almost have to have people around you that can help you with that and say, look, you got to hire a lawyer you got to research them and don't try to destroy the other side. And once I realized that I focused on what was important to me, which is my kids. I didn't care about the money after that. I didn't care about the stuff taken from the house. As soon as I focused on the kids, it became a lot clearer. Yeah, I think it's very wise advice. And if it's possible, they, they also have the processes where you have more of a common, like two lawyers, but you also have counselors and working it through in a more healthy way. I think it's, you know, all the tension can be very destructive in this type of process. But if you go back to when... For example, I was not able to live in my house. I gave the house to my ex-wife, so she took over the house. But because I traveled back and forth to Sweden, I didn't have my green card. I've done that for five years. I'm still waiting for a green card. Uh, five years later, or six years almost, I've lived in Airbnbs for five years. But now it's the first time I have a, my own house. And it can bring a lot of resentment. It can bring things that, how did you deal with anger, resentment? Were you able to forgive, go through uh, whatever? How did you deal with that? Yeah. So noted forgiven. I I mean, I I still have a real, I'm three years later. So my wife left me in March of 2018. So almost three years now. We still do not talk. We do not talk at all. I I haven't heard her voice on the phone since 2018. I mean, it's, it's still bad. So anger is still there, but it's different anger. It's placed different. And this is what I did. I took accountability for my actions. So I looked back and I said, okay, you can sit here and, and complain all day long about the things she's doing, the things she's done. But what did you do? What was your role in this? So yeah. I looked back on my marriage and I realized you weren't the perfect husband. You worked a little bit too much. You didn't appreciate coming home to a clean house enough. You know, you didn't see signs that she maybe was struggling a little bit and needed more attention. We had four young kids in a short period of time. My ex-wife is 12 years younger than I am. We met when she was young. So there was a lot of things that I missed that I shouldn't have. So I started to take accountability for the things I missed. And I started to say, okay, you need to improve this. You need to be better here. I have a ton of patience now raising, you know, my daughters myself. I didn't always have that patience. So there were a lot of things that I had to focus on myself. And then when I started to realize what my role was, I start to realize they're the only things that I can work on. I can't work on the things that she's doing. I've learned that no matter what I tell her, you did this wrong, you did that wrong. She either sees it or she doesn't. It's, it's not on me anymore. It's on her. You figure yourself out. I figure me out. And that's it. And when I did that, I start to heal. I start to realize it's okay. You can't change her. Don't worry about that. Worry about you. Where are you going? Yes, the marriage is over. Yes, you didn't want it to be over. And you fought. You did everything you could for this marriage. And when you realized there was nothing left to fight for, it's okay to move on from that. You know, I truly believe that everybody should fight for their marriage. I understand there's circumstances where, you know, somebody's abusive or somebody just seriously doesn't care. You've gone to counseling. You've tried it. But I can promise you that you're going to wake up one day and if you can in your heart say, I did everything I could to try to save my marriage and you truly believe that and you have to move on, you're going to heal and be okay from that. You never want to look at it years later and say, I wish I would have, I should have done this different. I could have tried that. Don't leave any of those doubts. Definitely try to fix your marriage. And then if you can't, you're going to heal. I, I didn't think I was going to heal. You just have to take the steps to heal. And when you do that, you heal. I promise you, you heal. Yeah, I think that's a lot of wisdom. I think any relationship that's struggling, a lot of times I know it through my marriage, I tried to fix my ex-wife. And that is absolutely wrong way. Fix yourself and then the marriage will flourish in, in a lot of ways. But you can only fix yourself. I've learned more about myself going through the divorce than any other period in my life because I had to. I was forced into making changes. And... Um, a lot of times for me, I was very blind in the marriage. I had masks, I had to deal with shame when it came to a poor relationship. You know, we attended church, but then in the end, the last few years, my, my ex-wife didn't want to go to church. And to go to church with my kids by myself, 
brought a lot of shame, you know, showing uh, I, my marriage might not be perfect and no relationship is perfect. But And then afterwards, I had to deal with a lot of shame too that I went through a divorce. Yeah. My parents were, were married their whole life until my dad passed away. And also the church put a lot of pressure on you to stay married. And then they didn't say it's uh, terrible if you have a divorce, but it felt that way. So yeah. I st- I've stopped going to church for quite some time. And it had to deal with shame. I didn't really know how to deal with it. It wasn't until I started speaking about it with friends. I shared that on several podcasts. When I started talking to other people about my divorce on the airplane, people that didn't know that this shame just dissipated. And now I'm completely free. I can talk about the divorce. I can talk about things I was ashamed of. And that's such a freedom to be able to be me, to be authentic. And that's what I want other people to, to experience, to this living in an authentic real life is so powerful. And that's another thing that you said is having the right people around you. And here's a little tip on that. You're going to frustrate people when you talk about this a lot. There are going to be people that don't want to hear about it every day because yeah. you know they have their lives. They, they certainly want to be there for you, but you are going to lean heavy on people. And you have to understand that when people back off, it's okay. Let them back off. They're not there to help you with every aspect of this. I had good people around me and I had several good people around me. So when I felt like I was wearing out something with one person, I would go to the next person and that's okay. And those people are still in my life, which is great, most of them. So you don't wanna get upset with somebody because they're not answering the phone one day or they're not there for you. You have to understand that's also part of this is you're gonna feel alone. You know, it, They'll be there when they can. They, they have their own lives and their own things going on. So. You know, don't expect your best friend to be there every day and listen to you complain about your marriage every day. And one thing I'll tell you is be honest with people. You know, you cannot heal if you're healing from a point of a lie. So I told my friends what happened. I told them what I was doing. I told them where I was and the stupid things I said and how I was trying to get her back and whatever I had to do. I told them because I wanted the right advice. I know that my ex has not dealt with this the way I have. She's not able to tell people what happened. She made some mistakes, I'm sure, and she doesn't tell people. And so she's not healed. She cannot heal because she has to carry that around with her. So I decided to be open with people. This is my role in it. This is what I did wrong. This is what I'm doing wrong. I looked stupid at times. I felt terrible at times, but I wanted to heal. And the only way you're going to heal is to be honest with yourself and honest with other people. You can't heal if you're not. Yeah, I I totally agree. And it is a process. My counselor told me, uh, we got a counselor for the whole family. So the kids went to counseling, which was amazing. It was actually the court that recommended it. And then we wrote it into our divorce decree, uh, even the name of the counselor. And my two youngest went there for two years. And that was a very good step. But she told me that because I was so lonely, was depressed, she said, reach out to a few close friends that I trust and tell them what's going on and see if they can support you. Be very honest with them and say, you know, what you're going through and also to share what's going on. And because I didn't want to be a bother to these people, I asked them to call me because I didn't want to call them and and feel like I'm a bother continuously and just to share how difficult it is. And I had several people, you know, two people that would call me on a regular basis and for six months Mm -hmm. and it was so good. To have people that kind of like reach out. And I totally believe that you shouldn't talk to everybody about the details because you're going to scare a lot of people away. And it, it needs to be the people that you trust and that people that really want to support you in this process. If you want to gain friends, don't tell everybody about your divorce and all the, the junk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's okay to be to share that you've gone through divorce, but a lot of people, they don't want to hear it and they probably shouldn't hear it. Yeah, it, it, I think it's better to, to keep that to a limited amount of people that really want to support you. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what you think. No, I, I agree. I, I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning, <clears throat> you know, and again, I probably had a divorce unlike anybody else's. I, I, I know a lot of people believe that, but I had, I had a pretty rough, pretty bad divorce. And I did some things wrong. I I posted on social media about it when I was frustrated. You know, I I would tell people things. I I wanted people to hate her. I did. I wanted people to hate her. I wanted people to see what she was doing. And I learned something. They're going to see what they want to see. 
And the more you try to get people to see things, it starts to put question in our minds. What am I missing? You, you know, people always understand that they're going to hear your version and, and their version. So I got to the point where I kind of stopped talking about my version and just, I, I knew in order to heal, I had to do this. You know, I pushed a lot of people away. I tried dating quickly. That was terrible. That that was just, it was a firestorm. That was the worst thing to do. I had to heal first and, and I was trying to date and I was telling you, and people would ask, you know, what's your relationship with your ex life? And then of course we would talk about that. And then they'd be like, well, I can't date you. You way too much going on. And I started to say, well, you asked. And so I realized, you know, I, you got to find that balance. You have to get to the point where heal yourself. When somebody asks you that question, yeah, you know, we have a little bit of a rough situation and <laughs> what's your divorce like, you know, and push it down. So I learned I had to push things out on other people and not worry so much about mine. They don't want to hear about your divorce. They'll ask. They don't want to hear about your divorce. Yeah. We try to make things work as best we can. And what do you want to eat? You know, move on to the next thing. Don't mix the two up. And so, yeah, dating was fun for me because it was horrible. And then I took a break. I took a huge break from dating. And when I did that, Everything changed. I became more positive. Social media changed. I stopped talking about that. Stopped talking about happy things. And these people that weren't commenting and were disappearing all of a sudden started to trickle back in and everything was good again. So you have to pay attention to signs. You're given signs through your divorce of this is working and this isn't. And you have to read them. You got to pick up on them as hard as it is. I tell people this. You can't skip steps in your divorce. We all want. You cannot skip the steps. You have to hurt in order to heal. So as much as it pains you to go through, I now know that I have to go through being alone. I'm sleeping in this bed alone tonight. I'm not going to see my kids tonight. Oh my gosh, the phone's ringing and it's my ex and we're going to have to talk. It's okay. Get that step done because believe it or not, that's going to be in your past soon. The sooner you get that done, the sooner you get it in your past and the sooner you accept and deal with it, the quicker you're going to move on. So the lesson I tell people is on time. In the very beginning, I wanted time to stand still, slow down, stop, stand still. Let me figure out what's going on. Why is my wife leaving? How do I fix this? Then I got to the point where I knew my marriage was done. I'd done everything I could. I wanted time to speed up so I could get to that point where I was healing. All right, hurry up and speed up. Let me just get through this pain and heal. And time did neither of those things. Time said, I'm here and I'm going to move at the same pace that I always move at and you're going to deal with it. And you know what? I did. And I look back now and say, how did I ever get through that? What I did, because I took the steps. I was in pain. I healed. I was angry. I was frustrated. I fell down. I picked myself back up. I learned how to cook. I learned how to do the girls' laundry. I did the dishes every night. I stopped watching television. I did all the things that I needed to that allowed me to become the person I am. And as soon as I did that, it became easier. Yeah, I usually uh, say the example of uh, sitting in the b- middle of the ocean in a rowboat, initially in a divorce. And when I row and you don't see the horizon, it's like difficult to see that you're moving. It's difficult to see that you actually have progress. And that's what it was initially in the probably first year or, or two, that it's very difficult to see the progress. And it's very easy to become depressed about it because you don't see any progress. I did the same thing. I started dating way too early. Started dating pretty much uh, this, uh, whenever the divorce papers were signed, and did that for about a year. And I did it only because I was lonely and just uh, filling this void inside of me. And I just realized that I'm not supposed to date, so I stopped dating for I think it was close to two and a half years. And then I just uh, met a girl four months ago. So we started dating organically. We did a podcast earlier. You guys have uh, to listen to it. Uh, it's a podcast panel. And one of the panelists called it uh, Dating in the Wild. It's like I met her on the tennis court, not on the dating app. But it was really cool. And I wasn't really looking. It just appeared. And that's all good. But about the progress, you're talking about time standstill or you can't fast forward. What are these steps for you? What are these steps that you took that you feel that moved this needle in your divorce recovery that was very positive? That a listener that right now is in this fog, I usually call it fog or whatever you call it to kind of like keep on moving. What are these steps and what steps did you take to move this forward? Yeah, the first step you have to take is acceptance. You have to accept that this is what's going on. 
it's the hardest step to take is the, the two hardest steps are taking accountability and taking acceptance that this is what's happening. I had handled my accountability. I'd written my ex a letter saying, these are all the things that I did wrong in my marriage. And I had never told her those things before. So I wrote that letter. I sent it to her. I don't think it meant anything to her. It, it was more for me to say, I know where I failed. I, I can see what I did wrong. Here it is. I'll fix these things with you or with somebody else wasn't with her. And once I accepted that my marriage was over and that these things were going to happen and, you know, drama was going to continue to happen, it made things easier for me. I think the hardest part we have is we hold on to something. We hold on to, well, what if they wake up and change their mind tomorrow? Or what if, you know, there's a million things, there's a million what ifs that you're going to go through and you can't do that. You have to figure it this way. I'll steal your word organic. If you guys are going to fix things, it's going to happen organically. It's going to happen because that other person wants to. The last thing you can do is convince that other person to come back and to fix things. They have to be convinced of it themselves. So I said, I'm going to work on me. I'm no longer going to work on the marriage. I'm going to work on me. And that wasn't me failing and giving up on the marriage. It was me saying, I can only work on the things that I can control and I yeah. can control me. So I did. I started working out again. You know, the funny story is so, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit healthy. When I was at my worst, when I was at 143 and I was in the emergency room, I came home that night and I said, all right, well, let's start doing push ups. Let's start getting yourself better. I did three push ups, three. I, I said, what is going on? It was bad. So I said, that's it. I'm going to fix this. Over the next four months, I started doing over 500 push ups a day. I just got to the point where I said, this is not going to happen. So I did that. I kind of blew my shoulder out a little bit, but it was something, it was progress for me. Then I said, you're not going to sit around and watch TV because everything that you watch reminds you of your marriage. We used to watch this together. Here's, you know, a couple having an affair or whatever the situation is. And I didn't want to see that. So I started reading and, and I read and read and read and read. And I found something that would keep my mind off of it. Then I said, I had my kids and I have to cook for these kids. You know, my, my ex-wife is a phenomenal cook. You know, she did all the cooking. I cooked one the Two or three times a year, I cooked on Thanksgiving, Mother's Day, and her birthday. They were the days that I cooked. And so I had to say, oh, there's 362 other days you have to do this now. So I started to learn to cook. I got a crock pot. I started researching recipes. I realized I could mix things. I did everything I could to better me. And when that happened, I healed without knowing it. I started yeah. to say, you don't have to have somebody in your life to do your laundry, to cook for you to be here to talk to you can read books you can do this you can do that and all of this built myself into a better person and told me you're okay you're here I, I didn't know I was healing I looked back and said you healed not fully I'm not fully healed but <clears throat> but I looked back and said how did you get through that I got through it because I wasn't thinking about how I was going to get through it I focused on me I didn't focus on healing I focused on me yeah. do that you end up looking back and you realize you're much better off than you thought you were. That is so true. And me looking back, and it's actually been just the last couple of years where I've realized the progress, the, the incredible progress I've made since the beginning of the divorce. But it's so difficult when you're in it to see that you're actually moving. But then when you come and get some perspective to it and you can see the progress, it's very cool. But it's like you said, Having uh, people around you, having taken these steps, having people that can kind of like be in your life. Like I had two friends. I had two friends that gone through a divorce. I actually roommated with them for a period of time during this divorce. And I think that was also huge for me to have somebody. So I, I wasn't alone. It was a, a buddy of mine and he had just uh, gone through divorce himself and he could relate to my pain. So we talked all the time about these issues and he didn't have a problem talking about the divorce. He, he talked almost too much to me about the divorce. I had to tell him, you know, to quit it sometimes. <laughs> but uh, we had also, he's my best friend now. It's like uh, we talk every week, we laugh together, we play golf together. But having those, that's what came out of the divorce too, to having these awesome friends, these friends that, uh, that would do anything for you and you can share anything with and I think particularly for guys, it's sometimes difficult to be vulnerable and open to other men. And uh, to have a friend or two or three like that, there's nothing better to have a buddy that you can actually do life with. 
and can, you can call and you, whenever you're struggling and you can go out and have fun, have a beer together. And that's another thing that came out of my divorce to have these amazing friends. And I've never had those type of friends in my whole life. I've had surface friends. We talk about sports, you talk about these, you know, simple things. But when you can share anything that you are struggling with, to have those people in your life that support you, that is, it's so, so good. And I, I just wanted to switch a little bit into what we talk about here. When it comes to kids and talking about, I, I struggled a lot with the kids. I, initially in the divorce, I wasn't able to see the kids for months sometimes, both due to the divorce, due to alienation in the divorce, and also my traveling. I have to travel back and forth to Sweden. So half my time was in Sweden and not being able to see the kids for extended times. How did you deal with that? And how do you do the co-parenting? How do you deal with the children issues? How to stay connected with them? Yeah, co-parenting is something we do not do. It's, you know, I'm honest about my situation. We don't co-parent. It's terrible. We've been to co-parenting classes. We've tried a couple of them. They didn't work. You know, there's a lot of, of anger and frustration still there and on both sides. And so, you know, initially I, I had, so I have five daughters. Uh, I raised my oldest daughter myself. I had full custody of her since she was six. And then with my uh, ex-wife, I have four daughters. And at the time she left, we had a one-year-old, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a seven-year-old. We, wow. we had small kids. Yeah, it was tough. My biggest fear was when I was removed from that house, I didn't get to see my kids for, I think it was a few months in the beginning. And my biggest fear was that my one-year-old wasn't going to remember who I, I was so scared of that. And when she did, it, it helped. Now, in the beginning, I was living in a basement at my mom's house. I was removed from the house that I had owned before my marriage. And I would get them for three hours once a week. And so I took those three hours and I hung out with those kids. And I didn't talk about the divorce and I just listened to them and hung out with them. And I heard a lot of bad stories from those kids. I felt horrible. And some of those stories got me in trouble. I heard things that I didn't want to hear and, and I acted on them. And so I, you know, I made some mistakes and I, you know, I don't know if there were mistakes. I got my kids into a better spot doing what I had to do. So yeah, I focused on the kids and as hard as it was, my kids saw me and they saw me struggling. And my oldest daughter who was seven at the time came in and said, dad, you look terrible. And it made me realize how bad I let this beat me down. And the kids see it. They yeah. see it. So, it, you know, for people going through a divorce, listen, I don't care if you hate your ex. I don't care if they're terrible to you. Don't ever do this to your kids. Don't ever put your kids in a position where they have to see the other side like this. There was no letting up from the, the, the stuff that was being thrown at me. There was never, a, well, you know, he's struggling. I left him. Let's just fix this. There was none of that. I mean, I was constantly being served court papers and, and police calls and everything. And to this day, I don't understand why, but my kids saw this and my kids talked about it and it was hard. So I had to become a better parent. I had to realize as much as I was fighting for my marriage, I was also fighting for my kids. And in the beginning, I didn't see that. So yeah, I started to get my kids more. I kept fighting. It took me two and a half years to get 50% of my kids. So in a court system where a father wants to see his kids, it took me two and a half years to be looked at as a parent. And that was confusing to me. I wanted my kids. I wanted to raise my kids. I had every right to raise my kids as much. And it took me two and a half years to do that. And it was incredibly hard for me to deal with that. So now I have that. Now my kids love it. We do not talk negative about mom in the house at all. They all bring situations up and I say, okay, guys, that's great. That's it. We do yeah. not talk anything. And that's something I think people in anger do. They talk about it. And what is this part? What is it? What is she doing? What is he doing? Do they have anybody over the house? Is there any guys over? Are there any girls over? You want to do that because you want to know. I quickly stopped doing that. And I will tell you, when I stopped doing that and stopped asking questions, my kids opened up to me in a way that they never would have. They trust me. They tell me everything that they need to. And there's something bad going on. Dad, we're going to tell you what's going on. We were told not to tell you this, but we're going to tell you anyway. They trusted me because I stopped asking questions. When you focus on your kids, things change. And that's what you need to do. And here I am, I have 50% of my kids. When they're here, I love it. I homeschool them. You know, I, in cyber school, they're on my days uh, because of the coronavirus, they're home. On her days, they're in school. I don't know how that happened, but it happened. I love it. I get to sit here with my kids and help them with their homework. Oh. They went back to their mom's yesterday and it happened to be a day off. They called me and said, dad, we need help. 
and I help them with their homework, even though it's not my day. Uh, there wasn't even a question. Well, this is mom's day. Let her help you. I said, great, let's go. What do you need help with? Uh, your kids need you. Be there for your kids. Nothing else matters. That is a great way to connect. And uh, that's awesome to hear that story that the kids needed help and they call you. And that's uh, yeah. heartwarming when that, those things happen. And yeah, I, I truly, it's so important to not bash your ex and, and speak poorly, you know, no matter what, both with the kids and without the kids, because that's going to grow inside of you that hatred you know for me it's been a constant forgiveness on a daily basis yeah. and just saying you know i forgive i go on and then keep on going and uh, forgiveness is not something that it's uh, you know it is a decision to forgive to say but sometimes it takes time for the feelings to catch up is that something that you had to deal with listen I, I don't pull punches on this one. I don't forgive her right now. I have no forgiveness. There are still things going on that should not be going on. And there are still things that I deal with on a regular basis that I should not have to deal with. I attribute that to believing that she realizes she made a mistake in what she did and how she did it. I don't have any illusions that she loves me anymore, but I know that she knows she should have worked on this and she shouldn't have done things the way she did. I truly believe that. So for me, I think forgiveness for me is when she starts to take accountability for some of the things she's done. So I, I've never heard, I'm sorry, out of my ex's mouth. Yeah. Not one time. I have never heard, I did this and I probably shouldn't have, and I, I could have done it differently. She's just not going to do that. So if with everything that happened through my divorce, missing pets, everything's taken from my house, the attempts to get me in trouble, the attempts to put me in situation with other guys that really could have landed me in jail and, and put me in a bad spot. I haven't forgiven those things yet. And I'm okay with that because I think at some point I'll get there. And that's part of the healing. You know, there's no illusion that this was easy for me after everything went bad and I'm this great guy and I healed and I'm perfect and everything is great in my life. No, I haven't forgiven yet. I'm working on it. But I'll tell you, I need to get there at some point. I don't bring up the things that have happened as much as I used to. When she brings something up to me, I don't go back to, but you did X, Y, and Z. I just don't. I've learned that if it hasn't happened by now, it's probably not going to happen. She's probably not going to say, yeah, you're right. I did that. And I did that. She's not. And that's okay. That's her journey, not mine anymore. So I'll get to forgiveness. There's certain things that I've forgiven, I'm sure. And there's things that don't matter anymore. You know, there was, there, there was something that had happened that I felt she did. And I look back and go, yeah, big deal. It's over. It's three years. I don't think about it anymore. I have to get to that point. I, I think forgiveness can also be just not thinking about things. Maybe you forgive yourself for being so angry about something. Yeah, it, it's that's a tough one for me. And, and, and I'm fair about that. It's a tough one. For me, it's definitely been a huge part in my journey to uh, be quick to forgive. When uh, things happen that shouldn't have happened, things that my ex did to me that was absolutely wrong, that I immediately say, I forgive you, even though I didn't feel like it. And uh, not let that fester inside of me this has only has to do with me not with her right and because a lot of these things was very hurtful but if i kept on thinking about all these and letting them control me i think i would have gone nuts it's like i have to keep on going and also to have boundaries we're going to talk a little bit about boundaries and in my relationship in the marriage i had no boundaries i was very codependent especially in the end and in the divorce and and going through divorce to start establishing boundaries with your ex and how you interact and what's acceptable and what's not. Uh, is that something that you have dealt with when it comes to boundaries in your relationship with your ex? And how did you do it? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things you have to learn to do is to not nitpick everything that happens. So in the beginning, it was you sent the kids home and they didn't have socks. Well, this one didn't brush our hair. And when did this one have a bath? And you start picking out things because you want to make the other person look like they did something wrong and you caught it. And it makes no difference at all. It makes the courts don't care. The lawyers don't care. Nobody cares that the kids came over to your house five days in a row and their hair wasn't brushed. They don't care. <laughs> you have to learn to let that stuff go. So one thing that my ex does is she forgets their school bags a lot. She, for, My daughter gets a medicine every Friday and she'll forget that on occasion. I had to learn to stop saying, look, once again, you did this because nobody cares. So I would just say the kids don't have their school bags. Oh, I forgot. I'll drop them off. Great. End of story. There's nothing that can happen 
between those two points of her forgetting and a school bag coming that you can't control. You have to just say they forgot their school bags. You don't have to worry they forgot them again. You don't have to do that because all that does is create, well, you didn't do this several times. So you find your battles and you pick them. So the boundaries for me became, if it's not about the kids, I don't talk about it. I let so much go. I don't bring up things about the past, the things that are missing from my life that, you know, that I feel like were still mine and I should get back. And I just don't anymore. I've accepted that. I've accepted that when you heal from something, you leave it alone. You let it go. It's in the past for a reason. Yeah. If you bring it back up, you surface all those, those ill feelings. So yeah, boundaries have to be set. I don't talk to my ex. We talk through text. That's it. I try to be quick. And I had a friend tell me the other day, a piece of pretty important information. It actually changes my thinking. When you write a text to your ex, write it as if your children are going to read it. Yeah. And that became an important piece of advice for me because I was in the middle of texting her and I looked at it and said, take that last sentence out because if your kid read that, she would know you were throwing a dig at yeah. her mom. So now my texts are, they come from a position of write as if your kids are going to read that. And it doesn't matter what my ex does. She can write that she hates me. I'm terrible that I did this and I did. That's okay. I'm sorry you feel that way. So let's get back to the kids. Blah, 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 blah. And talk about the kids. They're the boundaries that I set for myself. Don't bring things up. You don't need to don't bring up things that you don't want to revisit and don't bring things up that you can't control. It makes yeah. no difference. Yeah, I think that's very wise advice. Initially, it was difficult to not talk about the past and the, the marriage and when you're in the middle of it. But the last few years, I've just decided to, I don't talk about the past. It's like, it's no use unless the, the other person wants to have some kind of resolution. But when sure. one person in the relationship doesn't want to have a resolution or, or talk about it, you just have to leave it. And another thing, I don't, we don't text. We only email and it's only about the children. And that's a boundary I had to set because it was so much uh, accusations, false accusations uh, constantly. And whenever I, it's something I need to respond to that's more emotional, I usually write the email. I wait 24 hours before I send it. I reread it. And okay, this is probably not what I should. And I've had so many emails I haven't even sent because it's like you act in emotion and text can be very crude can be misunderstood and if you write it when you're upset it's not a good idea because it's like it's so easy that you send something that you don't really mean and it just makes things worse and so i think it's good to have a little bit of time between the time you you write it and you push the send and to kind of like revisit it instead of doing this text battle back and forth if it is a lot of tension yeah, it doesn't help to do that. The same thing, I started to get accused of, you know, calling her and threatening her. And I would go to courts with the phone records and say, please show me where I called her. I, I have not called my ex-wife since December of 2018. Yeah. And every time we went to court, it was he's texting me and he's threatening me and he's calling me and he's threatening me. And the courts would say, okay, where? And she wouldn't have it. And so I, I learned I'm not going to call. I mean, yeah. it, you have to set boundaries for yourself to say, that's only going to cause me trouble. So I don't call. And then when she brings it up, I just say, okay, well then show me. And there's no showing. And, and that showed me a lot. It showed me that, you know, I, I, a, I have to be really careful and B, that's just not how we're going to ever communicate again. I, I'm okay with that. You know, it, it's not ever going to be easy. No. And okay. when you do set up boundaries, and this is very helpful for a future relationship too, to learn about boundaries. Boundaries is one of the most important things in relationships. It's not for the other person, if it's a friend, if it's a romantic relationship, it's if it's in business. If somebody calls you idiot or calls you names and you feel hurt and you say to that person, if you do that again, I'm not going to be your friend. That is a boundary. It's just a very simple explanation of boundaries because so many people don't even know what boundaries are. Yeah. And understand that the boundary is something positive. It's something that says to the other person, you know, this is what I can accept, but you can't go past this line. If you do that, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. So it'll, it'll be a, a, a consequence tied to the boundary. And that's very healthy. And that brings respect too, because if it's a good friend, they're going to understand, oh, I'm so sorry that I overstepped that. I'm so sorry that I hurt you. I will never do that again. And that brings respect into that relationship. That uh, because if you keep allowing that those things, that's going to spiral down, and they're going to be worse things that you're going to offend. Then you're not going to say that hurts too. 
So you, you have to have boundaries in, in any relationship. Yeah, and you have to remember this too. The person you're divorcing is not the person you married. They're in two yeah. entirely different people for, for a number of reasons. They've, that you've grown together, you've grown apart, they've gotten older, you know, you've had kids. There's all these differences. And I think too often we're looking for that same person we married. We're looking for the same reaction from that person that loved us and, and did things a very different way. They're very different people. And when you take that into another relationship, you have to understand that next relationship, that person is very different too from probably who they were. They have had been hurt. They've had some damage in their life. You know, they have frustration behind them. When I first got married, I was 35. So I was a little bit older, but it was the first time I got married. And my wife is 23 years old. So I married a much younger woman who had never experienced all the things that we're going through now. So for us, it was perfect. It was a great marriage. We had fun. But I did not have boundaries in my marriage. I did things because I thought she's my wife. I can kind of do whatever I want. If I want to go out, if I want to come home late, I want to do it. I could do whatever I want. And that was wrong. Going into my next relationship, I have to learn from the beginning what those boundaries are. What have you dealt with? What have I dealt with? Where are we going to be comfortable? Because if you don't, you repeat the cycle. Yeah, exactly. So we're gonna we're gonna round off the podcast. It was it's been so awesome to have a chat with you to to hear your story. The stories are awesome to hear for other people to kind of like connect with you and your story and how you move through this uh, journey of life and uh, this portion of life. And uh, to uh, end the podcast, I just want to ask you. If you have some advice or some somebody that's just in the starting point of a divorce that's going through the struggle, feeling lost, lonely, depressed, maybe have suicidal thoughts, what yeah. would you tell that person? Yeah, I would tell that person that I was that person, that I was there, and I literally thought there was nothing left for me to do. And now I've done so much more with my life than I've ever done. You have to understand you are going to get through it. You are not the only person to go through this. You're not the only person to go through a difficult divorce or a painful divorce. You're not alone. There are a number of people out there that you can contact. There are friends, there are hotlines. Listen, I called a suicide hotline one night when I was just at, at my end. Make those calls. It's okay. They're anonymous. You can make those calls. You can reach out. I reached out to my pastor. I found my faith again. Find what's going to heal you because what healed me is not going to heal you. And what healed you is not going to heal that person. We're all going to find a different way to heal us, but don't give up. Just know that you're going to go through these steps. We all go through these steps. The pain's going to get bad at times, but it's okay. Cause it's going to get better. You're going to hit a point where you start to go the opposite way. For me, I had to figure out what I wanted to do. And we talked in the very beginning about this. I wrote a book. I never would have sat down and wrote a book and seen myself there when I was at my worst. I, I had a 12th grade education. I've never done anything with writing. I've never gone to college for literacy. I sat down and I wrote a book on my divorce, which will never go anywhere. And then I sat down and I wrote a second book. That we talked about it when the dandelions sing. I would have never thought that was possible when I look back at myself at my worst. So you're not going to be able to see where you're going to go. You're only going to see what you're dealing with. But I promise you, when you get to where you need to be and where you're meant to be, you're going to be amazed and you're going to look back and you're going to say, wow. And I ask everybody to do this. When you feel like you're healing and you go through this pain of this divorce and you struggle, do yourself and everybody else a favor. Make sure you give back to this. Do what I'm doing. Talk about it. Do, do what you're doing. Give people this forum to talk about it so that you can help other people. Be that person that not just only gets through the divorce, but shows and shares and helps other people get through the divorce. You're going to get through it. There's not even a question you are going to get through this. You just have to be patient. Take the steps. Go through the steps. Be patient. And when it gets hard, reach out to somebody that can help you. That is such a good advice and ending of the podcast. And like you said, helping other people is part of the healing journey. And that will help you through loneliness, depression. Uh, it's probably one of the best medicines to depression is to start helping others. And I've heard that from so many people and they helped me. So one question, the, the book, what is the book about? Yeah, so the book is about, it's a fiction book and it's about an eight-year-old boy 
who uh, struggles through fine understanding and perspective. So he wants to understand what purpose is. He's raised by his grandparents and his mother. And he goes through his life trying to figure out who his dad was, why his dad wasn't there, who his brothers really mean, and his brother and his sisters really mean to him. And he starts to listen to people around him and their stories that they tell about when they grew up and things that they went through. And he tries to put themselves in their position so he can understand why they did what they did and how they became the people they became. As he goes through this, his grandfather uses an analogy of a dandelion. And his analogy is, you know, just because you see a dandelion and it has no purpose to you doesn't mean it doesn't have purpose to something. He said, everything that's on this planet has purpose, even if you don't see it. And that's what he starts to learn. He starts to learn about purpose. If, if you see something as simple as a dandelion, it's a weed. Dandelion has healing qualities. People, the Italians use it in salads. There's all these great things as medicinal purposes out of dandelions. And so he realizes that every single thing in this world has purpose. Even if we don't know what purpose is, we just still have to respect it. And he goes through a struggle and he goes through a journey of this. And he comes out at the end, pretty much understanding what this is about as he gets older. And he looks back on his childhood and he realizes that the people he had in his life were family, even if they weren't always blood. That is beautiful. And uh, when is it coming out? It'll be out in April or May. So it'll be on Amazon. It'll be in Barnes and Nobles. You'll be able to order it from bookstores, wherever you want. And it's going to be called When the Dandelions Sing. That is awesome. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, so a little ending. The podcast is for anybody that's moving through divorce and to bring hope to you, to be this light in the end of the tunnel, to help you see that light. And... Uh, It can be so difficult, like we've talked about, to see that light. And give this podcast to anybody that, you know, if you listen to that, spread the news. I'm doing this on a part-time basis. I usually do the recordings on Fridays. And uh, I work as a financial advisor. I want to do this the rest of my life to give back and help other people because I know how difficult it is. And if you have any questions or if you want to send me a, an email, you can do that to personallifepodcast at email.com. Or in the description below, you can also leave a voicemail in the description and just uh, share what we do great and uh, what we should do more or anything. Just uh, leave a comment. It's so awesome to hear people's uh, response to the podcast. But most of all, share it with other people because this will be a help to people. So uh, ending on that, thank you so much, James, for taking your time to share your story. It's so powerful to hear that story. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity to give that. Awesome.